is been almost eradicated on the face of the earth with so much deception going on. And Jesus said that the time before his second coming would be characterized by unprecedented worldwide religious and political deception. But he had in mind primarily spiritual deception. And we're living in a day in which it seems like truth is just lost somewhere. I mean, it's like, you know, um, people don't even know what truth is anymore. It's like Pilate. When Jesus said, I have come to bear witness of the truth, and Pilate said sarcastically, what is truth? And turned around and walked away. We're seeing that today. You know? People don't care about truth. It's relative, they say. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. So truth is whatever I want it to be. But that's not truth. God is a God of truth. Jesus said, Father, your word is truth. And God's truth is what winds up judging these people. The sword that proceeds out of the son's mouth, the, which is the word of God, is going to mow them down, those that have embraced all the lies of the devil and the Antichrist. Well, chapter 15 is the shortest chapter in the book of uh, Revelation. And uh, since chapter 14, we said, is like the table of contents for, the ch- for chapter 16 through 19, then chapter 15 really becomes the prelude of the final series of events that will complete the wrath of God and bring the return of Jesus Christ back to the earth to establish the kingdom. And don't forget now, we've looked at 14. 14 encompasses the rest of the book. But now we're going to actually look at the rest of the book, all right? So 14, a little preview of what's coming. Table of contents. Chapter 15 is the prelude now, which introduces literally uh, those events. Uh, And if you think the worst, you know, if you've been thinking to yourself, well, the worst is over, think again. The worst is yet to come. We have already seen the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and now is coming the seven bowls of wrath, which are the worst of them all. Verse 1, John said that I saw another angel. Excuse me. I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. In this chapter, we have another sign in heaven, which are seven angels with the seven last plagues. This is the third sign that John has seen in Revelation. The first one was chapter 12, verse 1, where John said, I saw a sign, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. We said that woman was analogous to Israel. Then in chapter 12, verse 3, he saw another sign, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. So this is uh, Satan, who was likened to a dragon here. Uh, Now he sees the third sign, which are the seven angels having the seven last plagues. And he calls them great and marvelous. Seems kind of an odd way to talk about the greatest judgments the world has ever seen. Great. Uh, Not great in the sense of wonderful, Great in the sense of awesome and terrible. Great in its scope. These seven judgments are going to encompass the whole earth. Up until this point, God has been judging the earth, but not every part of the earth has been affected by every judgment. These judgments are going to affect everybody on the face of the whole earth. That's why they're great. Great in scope. Why marvelous? Because you know what? When they're through, man's rebellion is through. Won't it be nice to get past the judgments and begin to see the Lord reigning on the earth? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm sick of all the carnage and all the death and all the destruction because of man's rebellion. It's marvelous to think that it's almost done, okay? That 
man's time on the earth, his rebellious time, the, this age, is almost over with. And so he sees this sign, which consists of seven angels who had the seven last plagues. The Greek word there for plague is plague, and it's a word that literally means a blow or a wound. It was used in chapter 13, verse 3 and verse 12 of the Antichrist deadly wound, although we don't think he really died uh, or he will really die. uh, But he incurred some kind of a deadly wound, it says, where the people of the earth think he was killed. But then he miraculously comes back to life, which is just Satan's counter for the resurrection. But... um, These seven plagues are not really diseases or epidemics. They are powerful, deadly blows that will strike the world with killing impact, one author said. Uh, Something else I think you should just realize, it's important to note that the fact that they're called the last plagues implies that the preceding trumpet and seal judgments were also part of God's wrath. There are many people who believe that um, the wrath of God only occurs near the end of the seven-year tribulation period. When we have already showed you that the entire seven years contains God's judgments, God's wrath. It's just that now they reach the crescendo. Uh, Now we reach the most horrific of all his judgments, okay? But the idea that God's wrath shows up here at the end of the tribulation period and was not present before this, that's uh, erroneous. That's why those who embrace the pre-wrath position, that's, they have to take that position. But it's not consistent with what the Scriptures teach about this whole seven-year period. And the fact that they are the last of the judgments of God indicates that the bold judgments come after the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and that they are all sequential. See, a lot of people want to overlap them and say the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments really happen simultaneously when it says here they're sequential and they're covering the entire seven years. But they are sequential. Okay, the seals give rise to the trumpet judgments, which gives rise to the final bowl judgments. Again, verse 1, he says, For in these last seven plagues, listen, the wrath of God is complete. Now again, you have to understand, the idea here is that for the length of the entire seven-year tribulation, the wrath of God has been active. But these final seven bold judgments are going to fill up now to the max or complete what God has already been doing for the last seven years roughly, which has been judging people um, trying to get their attention. As we have said, by this time, the world has gotten pretty hard against God, so God has to take extreme measures to shake them up and wake them up to bring them to Christ. And many will respond. Remember we talked about, um, was it Amos, where the prophet said, God in judgment, remember mercy? And he is. He's using the judgments to awaken people. By the time we get to the bold judgments, though, it's basically over with. Hearts are so hard that there's really uh, none left uh, that, you know. I mean, by this time, every person that can be salvaged out of the world has been salvaged. And now there's just no reason for God to delay pouring out his final and greatest wrath, full strength uh, on the earth, unmixed with mercy, okay? Because there's no hope for those that are left. 
These are the hardest of the rebels, the Antichrist, the false prophet, uh, their most ardent followers. I mean, God has given the earth plenty of time to repent. Many have, many more have not. And by this time, it's like, look, that's it. Everybody who is going to come to Christ has come to Christ. And now there's just no point in God delaying any longer his final and greatest judgments, which are going to then take us right into the uh, coming of Christ in the kingdom age. The Greek word here for God's wrath, again, verse 1, the wrath of God is complete. The Greek word there for wrath is not orge, as we have looked at before many times. That word is used of God's anger or wrath. It's thumos. Thumos. There are two words in the Greek for anger or for wrath. One is thumos. It's a volatile, passionate anger. We get our word thermonuclear from that word, okay? And the other is orge, which is a slow-burning anger. Think of it this way. Orge is the slow building of God's anger over the centuries with regard to sin, but that anger has been restrained by His mercy and grace and love, right? Giving people a chance to repent. But over the years, the centuries, as people have rebelled against God, and now it's coming to a real head as the world now under the Antichrist is full of rebels. And God's anger has been building like a volcano. That's orge. Thumas is when the volcano erupts and judgment comes. So that's kind of the difference. Verse 2, John said, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having, having harps of God. We first saw this sea before the throne of God in chapter 4. It was called the sea of glass, crystal. It's, it spoke of God's holiness. In fact, this sea... Uh, is really designed to reflect the glory of God. And so in chapter 4, uh, John saw this sea of glass uh, as crystal. Crystal is absolutely clear. It spoke of God's holiness. Here, we see the sea mi mingled with fire, which speaks of God's divine judgment, which proceeds from His holiness. And John here sees these tribulation saints who have been martyred for their faith. He says that they have overcome the beast. In other words, they did not follow the Antichrist. They did not take his mark. They did not become members of his world system, his religious system. We read in chapter 12, verse 11, these are the ones who did not love their lives to the death. In other words, they were willing to die to stay loyal to their Savior. But since they didn't cooperate with the Antichrist, they didn't take his mark, they were unable to buy or sell. It says in chapter 13, verse 17, they were no doubt persecuted. Many were killed. Some will make it, by the way. Not everyone who's a believer during this time is going to be martyred. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 13, some will endure. And those that endure till the end, the end of the age, when I return, shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the Antichrist's wrath. And they will have physical bodies and be allowed to enter into the millennial kingdom because they are believers. But many others are going to die of starvation. They can't buy, they can't sell, they can't get a job. The Lord will take care of many of them. Of course, many are going to flee down to Petra, where God's going to supernaturally take care of the Jews that run down there from the Antichrist. But it's going to be a horrific time for believers living during this period of time. All of them, though, who are believers, are going to stay strong in their faith. They're going to persevere. They're going to endure. And some will be martyred. 
and others will be alive when the Lord returns. Those that are martyred here are seen in heaven standing on this glassy sea, which was the heaven was the reality. Earth, we saw a model. Remember the tabernacle and then later the temple? But when God gave Moses the blueprints for the tabernacle, uh, he was to uh, they were to make this tent structure, which was the temple or the tabernacle proper, uh, where the holy place wasn't the Holy of Holies, which the Ark of the Covenant sat in. And outside the tabernacle, there was the brazen altar where sacrifices were made, right? And then you had what was called the laver, sometimes called the molten sea because it was cast out of iron. And it was just a gigantic wash basin. And after the priests would offer the animals for the sins of the people, before they would go into the holy place, into the presence of God, they would first wash themselves in the laver. Now, we are priests of the new covenant. And by that, we simply mean that we don't need a priesthood to be our mediator anymore because through Christ, he has forgiven us our sins and turned us into a kingdom of priests. We have the right now to come directly into the presence of God, right? We are a kingdom of priests. We are the priests of the new covenant. Jesus Christ is our mediator and his blood has allowed us to come directly into God's presence. But to have fellowship with God on a continual basis, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, we must wash daily in what? The water of the word. The laver represented the Word of God. Now, we wash daily in the Word of God because we go out to the world, we brush, we brush elbows with people of the world, you know, and you know how it is with people you work with that are unsaved, you know. You know God love them. I mean, we were there, you know. They're talking, they're telling you the dirty jokes. I don't want to hear it. Oh, you got to just hear that. No, I don't want to hear it, you know. You hear the office gossip. You know, you, you, you go out into the world and you pick up a, a certain amount of dirt from the world. So you got to run home and take a spiritual shower. Open the Word. You know, wash your mind out. You know? And, and, and that's kind of the idea. But once we get to heaven, look at these saints. What are they doing? They're not washing in the Word, right? What are they doing? They're standing on it. Sounds like a bad cliche or a pun, right? We talk about we're standing on the Word. Well, they're literally... Well, by the time we get to heaven, we have our glorified bodies. We're pure and sinless now. There's no need to wash in the Word. Now we're pictured as standing on the Word. What does that mean? We have built our lives in the promises of God's Word, and you know what? He has not let us down. The world builds its hopes on shifting sand. We build our hope on the promises of God's Word. We have built not only our lives, but our eternity on the promises that God has given us in His Word. You know what? The Word of God will never let us down. We are pictured in heaven someday standing there, not washing in the Word, but standing on it in the sense that it's our sure foundation. And, and that's an awesome thing to think about. We see that these tribulation saints have been given harps. We saw harps that were being played by the 24 elders earlier in chapter 4. Uh, they represent the church. And so now these folks, these tribulation saints who have been martyred but were faithful to the Lord, are also given harps, and they're allowed to kind of join in the blessing of leading worship music in heaven. Verse 3, they sang, or they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Some of your translations may say King of the nations. Uh, there's, yeah, some manuscripts say saints, some say, he's both, okay? He's king of the saints, he's king of the nations. 
Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. These martyrs are seen standing on the glassy sea, and they're singing two songs. The song of Moses, first of all, which is found in Exodus 15. Remember now, when God brought his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea, he parted the Red Sea so that his people went through on dry ground. As his people got through the Red Sea on dry ground, here comes the Egyptian army. And God waited until they got into the midst of the sea, and then he closed up the waters and he drowned the entire Egyptian army. And so when the people of Israel saw this, they began to sing what was called the Song of Moses, which is recorded in Exodus 15, the horse and rider thrown into the sea, you know. But they also sing the Song of the Lamb, which is recorded right here in Revelation 15, verses 3 and 4. By the way, this is the first and last recorded songs in Scripture. And both are songs of God's deliverance of his people by his divine power, listen, through the blood of of the Lamb. Of course, when Moses and the Israelites sang the song of Moses, they were looking back to the blood of the Lamb that they applied on the doorposts and lentil of their houses, which allowed caused the angel of death to pass over, hence the word Passover with regard to this feast. But the blood applied to the doorposts and lentil of their houses caused the angel of death to pass over their houses. And so it looked they were looking back uh, at that, how the blood of the Lamb spared them, and eventually was used by God to redeem them. In Revelation 15, these tribulation saints uh, are looking back, singing about the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, um, how that through his, through his blood, he had redeemed them off of the earth. I mean, you say, but they died. What are they singing about? You know, some people think when we get to heaven, and maybe you've heard people say this, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a talk with God. Because, you know, I just don't understand why he allowed what he did in my life. By the time you get to heaven, I guarantee you, it's not going to matter. Because you're going to realize, you look into the face of God, the absolute, infinite love he has for you. And at that moment, even though you may not be able to figure out all the whys of God, you won't need to because as you look into the face of God, you realize whatever he did in my life, now I realize he did it out of love because he was trying to teach me something. And you probably hit yourself in the head. I wish I would have learned those lessons a little more, you know. You know, we want to blame God, or some people want to blame God. When we get to heaven, it's not going to be like, I'm going to, you know, God and I are going to have a talk. Uh, you know, no, it's not going to be like that, okay? They're singing. They're sing Even though they were martyred, in their eyes, it was deliverance, right? You know, get me off this earth, Lord. I mean, this Antichrist is killing us and torturing us and, and, and chasing us everywhere. We're like hunted animals. And finally, when they were martyred for their faith, it was like a release. And so they're just singing God's praises that through the blood of the Lamb, they are standing before him now in his presence. And I want you to notice this, as one author pointed out, notice that there's not one word out of their mouths about the martyr's achievements. You know? I mean, no one is saying, you know, Lord, they're not singing, Lord, you know, what worthy creatures we were, you know, and... Oh, you know, how faithful we were and how faithful we were to you. And, you know, and, and we were true to your word. And, you know, we endured. There's none of that. There's none of that. The only pronouns in this song are pronouns which refer to God. That's heaven, folks. It would not be heaven if all of us 
sat around bragging about ourselves. That's why God takes salvation totally out of our hands. For by grace you have been saved. All right? It is a gift of God, not a result of your works, lest any should boast. God doesn't want a bunch of braggarts in heaven, you know, uh, singing about how faithful and wonderful they were. It's all about Him. And that's what the Song of the Lamb is here, verse 3 and 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. That's the song of eternity. That's the song of heaven. Praising God, awestruck of, about His goodness and His love and His mercy that would redeem fallen sinners like we, unworthy of the least of His mercies. But because of the great love wherewith He loved us, He sent His Son to die for us. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him, day by day. He said,